Good to see everybody here. Good to get together and worship together. Look into God's word together. Let's pray before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you for the rich worship that we were able to be involved in, to join our voices together, to proclaim you as our king. And Lord, we just thank you for your body, the church, that we can get together and encourage one another, help one another. Thank you for your word that we can gain and become better Christians through it. And Father, we pray that this morning we would go from worship to really learning you more through your word and being able to serve you better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> you know, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, the disciples, they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And Peter hits it out of the park. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. <laughs> And Jesus says, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not preaching every uh, sentence here, but he says, that is the rock that the church will be built upon. That is the rock that I will build my church upon. That he is the Messiah, the one who came to save us, and the very son of the living God. That's the rock that we stand upon. And that's great, isn't it? It's the best news in the world. But Jesus also says in that same part of Scripture, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. That means the gates of hell will not be able to overcome the church. But what does that tell us? It tells us that the gates of hell will try to overcome the church. You know, the gates of a city, back in Bible days, is where the armies would line up ready to go out and attack or defend. So, the gates of Hades are where Satan lines up his soldiers to attack. So the gates of Hades is going to try to, you know, mess up the church, try to destroy the church. But Jesus says the gates of Hades will not be able to overcome the church. So the church is going to win, right? But we also know in that good news that the church will also be attacked by Satan's armies. And we know there can be some casualties. We know there are casualties in that battle. We see both of these things happening in the book of Acts. As the church gets started, as the church starts moving through infancy stages, 
And at the birth of the church, we see thousands of people coming to the Lord. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preaches to the people and tells them about the Lord Jesus, 3,000 come to know the Lord and, and join the church. But then, <clears throat> well, then 2,000 more some days later, and then more are there. But then not long after, we see the Jewish religious leaders arresting some of the disciples and threatening them to stop, that they stop preaching their message of Christ's resurrection, and especially that they're the ones who killed him. And as we continue through the book of Acts, we see both things continuing to happen. We see people coming to the Lord for salvation, you know, lots of people, and we see the enemies of the gospel working to stop the young church from accomplishing its mission. The gates of hell will not overcome the church, but with Satan as their ultimate captain, the armies of hell will continue to attack and wreck the church. Both, you can just guarantee both. Now, as we've been making our way through the book of Acts, we've seen persecution caused the young church to scatter beyond Jerusalem. At first, they were leading all kinds of people, the Jews, to Christ, and that was wonderful. But then the attacks came, and they had to flee, and as they fled, they spread the gospel message beyond Jerusalem into Samaria and, and other close parts. The church was expanding in response to the attacks from the gates of hell. So you have Jesus protecting the church, Satan attacking, they go out and more people come to the Lord. Now many Jews outside of Jerusalem were placing their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then something exciting happened, which we've kind of been through in our journey. Some of those early disciples who were preaching the gospel, they preached the gospel not only to the Jews that were in the outer area, but they began to reach non-Jews or Gentiles outside of Jerusalem. And that was a major, major development because all through history, it was the Jews who were children of God. They were the chosen ones. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the, the message going out to the nations. And that was the plan from the beginning that God would reach the nations at some point. And here's where we pick up our story of the church of Jesus Christ against the gates of hell. We're in chapter 12 of the book of Acts. The church is making great gains. Many people are coming to Christ. They're starting to look into the, to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, reaching the Gentiles. The gospel message is reaching out to the nations, that's the Gentiles. But we're about to run into another attack from the gates of hell. And it's in the first five verses, we'll start there, of Acts chapter 12. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. You know, that's, uh, that's not James. There's James, the brother of Jesus, that becomes the leader of the church. This is James and John. 
of Zebedee. When he saw that this met with approval from the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread, which is the week that goes to the Passover celebration. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. I think they were getting tired of people escaping. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So here we have the world against God's people. Peter was kept in prison. That's the, the uh, Hades, the power of Hades, but the church was earnestly praying. That's the power of God. So here we have the gates of Hades. <clears throat> you know, powerful King Herod versus the church, the spiritually powerful church of Jesus Christ. Now this King Herod was not the same one who killed the babies in Bethlehem. That was Herod the Great. He was the first Herod, the first king of the Herodian dynasty. And he was very, very cruel. <clears throat> this Herod was a grandson of, of Herod the Great. This was Herod Agrippa I. Now Herod the Great was famous for his ruthless, murderous rule. <clears throat> he killed many of his family members whenever he thought someone was trying to take over the throne or, or even hinted at taking over the throne. Several family members killed when he considered him, them threats. So that was the type of rule the Herodian dynasty was known for. Absolute authority, absolute cruelty. Herod Agrippa had the Apostle James put to death, and he saw that it pleased the Jews, so now he's going to take Peter. He's going to get more favor on his side, he's thinking. And <clears throat> since it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was the week leading up to Passover, Herod put Peter in prison. It sounds like from the text he would have killed him right away, but because of the feast, he didn't want to do that. That would just stir up the Jews. So he places four squads of four soldiers each guarding him. I mean, you know, this is secure. Then he would bring him out for a public trial, he thought, the Bible says. It seems evident that Herod was not taking any chances of Peter's escape. And then in verse 5, <clears throat> we have the two teams that are competing against one another. We have Peter kept in prison under very heavy guard, the power of the throne, the power of evil, against the weaponless church earnestly praying to God for him. Seems like there's so much power on one side and just prayer on the other side. Now, in human terms, <clears throat> that seems lopsided. You know, the Herodian dynasty versus Peter, an unarmed follower of Jesus Christ, guarded by four quadrants of soldiers, 16 soldiers. But look what happens in verses 6 through 11. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial... 
Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. I mean, he's got him covered. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. <clears throat> they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked, when they had walked the length of the one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Quite a dramatic experience that Peter has just gone through. But it's the experience of the power of God over his enemies. You know, there was absolutely no way, no possible way, Peter was going to escape those chains, those soldiers, those prison guards, and those locked gates. But you have the angel of the Lord appearing. It says a light shone in the cell. None of the soldiers awoke. Peter didn't even wake up, right? How can that happen? Well... <clears throat> It says he had to you know, hit Peter on the side to get him up, so I'm guessing that he put them all into a very deep sleep. Well, that's the power of God, isn't it? And then when Peter got up, his chains fell off. The power of God. And when they came to the iron gate leading to the city, the gate opens by itself. And it isn't until Peter walks the length of one street that he becomes conscious, fully conscious of what is going on. From then on, he just thought it was a vision. Now, from what we just read, imagine the power of God. Not just power that can destroy a city or knock down an army, which God can do. We've seen that in the Old Testament. But the divine power to just put people into a deep sleep. The power to cause a light to shine in a dark cell. The power to keep Peter in somewhat of a trance until he walked to the end of that street. And so you have the power of God that is astounding. He can do anything. He can take care of any situation. He can make any circumstance happen. It's astounding. He can cause anything to happen in any circumstance. Yet we know from other passages and our own experiences that God is very selective on the way he decides to use his power. He does it according to his own plan that will bring about the best results. You know, God can do anything at any time in any way he desires. 
but he only does what is best according to his advanced higher wisdom. <laughs> Yet, at the same time, he wants us to pray in all circumstances. He wants us to pray in light of all of our needs and in every situation. And then God will choose what is the best way to help us, the best way for our circumstances. And remember, he can do anything. He can put people to sleep. He can knock them dead. He can cause us, you know, he can do anything. But he only does what is best for us and the bigger picture. Our knowledge is so limited, whereas God's knowledge is so complete and so much higher than ours. And you know, <clears throat> these days when people are getting so, uh, they're, they're walking away from the faith in droves because they're disappointed in God. But we have to know that God can do anything at any time in any circumstance, but he has a higher, fuller knowledge than we do. And at the end, we would not want him doing the thing that we asked for, but the thing that he chose to do. But now Peter is fully awake. He knows what's going on. He knows God has chosen to rescue him from Herod and the Jewish people. And so now he goes to find the other disciples in the area to let them know he's all right. And so it says, when this had dawned on him that, you know, <clears throat> God had freed him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So we got the power of God here. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Now, you know, when you read those verses, the, the strong message coming from that is that no one in the room, although they were all praying, no one could believe that Peter was knocking at the door. And they were praying and praying and praying, and she just couldn't convince them that it was Peter at the door. Rhoda was so surprised herself that she forgot to open the door, right? She was so ecstatic. But everyone inside told her she was out of her mind. And when she kept insisting, they still didn't believe it was him. It must be his angel. Now, I believe what that tells us is that all of the believers were so certain that there was no way Peter was going to be released from prison that most that the most they were willing to allow was that it, well, had to be Peter's angel. And I believe it shows us how impossible Peter's chances were to ever see freedom again. I mean, no matter what they said, they wouldn't believe it. They just couldn't believe that he was going to get out of prison. Yet, 
We know with God all things are possible, right? And I think this incident was the event that inspired those videos, soldiers surprising their loved ones. Peter surprising the Christians. <clears throat> but again, we see Jesus' words come true. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It doesn't say there won't be any problems. It doesn't say there won't be any suffering. It doesn't say there won't be any uh, temporary losses. But the gates of hell will not overcome it. Because God is going to carry out his plan. I mean, he will. His plan will be carried through. So they finally let Peter in. <clears throat> but Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. See, just, just that belief that it couldn't happen. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Now that James would be the Lord's brother who became a leader in the church after Christ's death. <clears throat> Wouldn't you have hated to be a Roman soldier stationed anywhere near the Holy Land during that time? I mean, carrying out orders from those who were trying to stop what God was doing? I mean, it's just not a good idea to work in opposition to God. There's no way it can work, ultimately. You know, we may feel like at times that we have a better idea how things should go. You know, we can see from the word that we're supposed to do it a certain way. And we think, well, in this case, I don't know. A better idea on what we should do rather than what the Bible tells us. But, you know, our vision is so minuscule. It's so narrow. And God's vision is so wide and broad and eternal. And all who dismiss, that's us, that's Christians. How sometimes we kind of work against God because we think, well, it really can't happen that way. And then you have those who just dismiss God. Either treat him as unimportant or try to convince others he doesn't exist. People who will belittle those who try to live their lives in a way that pleases God. They will see it as silly, as not worth it. Well, you know what? You know, as we consider whether to follow God closely or to do our own thing, and we see others who are trying to convince us that God doesn't love us and God doesn't even exist, and look what he did in the Old Testament. Well, those who don't come to the Lord, they are headed for the greatest sorrow that they will never, ever be able to leave. I mean, it will be unimaginable sorrow. 
And, you know, speaking of the gates of hell and never, never able to overcome the church, our last verses give us a very clear picture of this. <clears throat> In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So, you know, Herod was extremely powerful, but those who lined up with Herod were on the wrong side, weren't they? Those who lined up with Christ were on the right side. Now, let's look at our last verses here, and it will show us again You know, with God, you win. When you turn against God, you lose. Let's see here. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, You know, Tyre and Sidon, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. There was a secular historian named Josephus. He wrote about this incident. And he said his robes were bright. And so the people, you know, were were talking about him being more than a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Now, as Josephus writes about this, he talks about him being struck then and then worms eating him over several days. You know, he, had, he, he got a disease and he just kind of wasted away over several days. <clears throat> but this reminds us of Jesus saying, upon this rock I will build my church, that you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And the armies of hell will not be able to overcome it. And you know, we face so many things in our lives because this world has gone astray. (laughs) But as a church of Jesus Christ, we may not look to belong to the most powerful side. We may be scoffed at for believing in someone we cannot see, and who looks as if he has no power. But you know, in the end, it's not even going to be close. Our victory will be so lopsided. You know, we won't be able to even ever get over it. It'll be like, you know, the odds with Peter getting out of that jail. In the end, the armies are going to come into Jerusalem and they're going to try to stop Jesus Christ from coming down and reclaiming the earth. 
and he's going to obliterate them. And it's going to be quick. And you know, Jesus, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, your word. It is so helpful, so precious, so invigorating. Help us to really place our faith in it in a strong, strong way. And help us to cling to it, to take it in regularly so that we live by it, so that we think according to it. And not be turned away from everything that we see that looks different. And so, Father, may at this time, as things are getting kind of worse in our society, may we be lights to others and give the gospel message out so that others may be able to escape, you know, the, the wiles of the devil. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.